You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethlehem Temple Church in Middletown, Ohio. We pray you enjoy today's message. Society, they're chasing after stuff. Some are chasing after great wealth and power. But you can go to bed one night being famous and wake up the next morning. Your name is all over the paper, all over the news as, as being a scoundrel. But the Bible tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his right standards and all the other things shall be added unto you. So this morning we are proud to say that we are chasing after God and we just give God a praise for you being here in service with us this morning. We thank God for those of you who are watching online. Uh, this is Bethlehem Temple First Pentecostal Church located at 1219 Young Street. And if you're ever in the area, please stop by, you will feel Welcome here in the house of the Lord. One more time for the praise team and for our great God. Just give God a hand praise. We thank and praise God. This is what we're now tagging Baptismal Sunday. and We have some souls that want to take another step in walking closer to the Lord. And so... Uh, there might be somebody who didn't come for that purpose today. Right. But since somebody's got to get wet, <laughs> come on now. Since somebody's got to go in the pool, and I'm saying you know God has been dealing with you, you can respond today in a positive way also. But for this message, it will be succinct, be very short because we've dealt with it, but 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. As we pass through the spiritual gift chapter, we've been the last several weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and after today, at least it's my plans to move on into the 14th chapter, but I just have a little thought today, and it's kind of uh, a little different, but you'll see where I'm going, I hope. You'll see where the Lord has taken us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and if you have it, would you please stand in respect of the reading of God's word. Look at your neighbor and say, I am glad to see you today. We're going to read verse number uh, 4 down through verse number 10. And again, in your own hearing, in your own time, please read the entirety of this particular chapter. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity faulted not itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never failed. For whether there be prophecy, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. 
whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. This morning, I would just like for you to look at the text, not in particular verse of scripture, and think upon the subject, what biblical love looked like. What biblical love looks like. We have tried to, in the last several weeks, describe love, or we try to quantify love, or some of the characteristics of love. Today, we'd like to use a couple of illustrations to point what love really looks like. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to share the word to your people. Now, we ask, Lord God, that your word fall on good ground, and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. I do solicit your prayers on this morning. What does biblical love look like? Because the world defines love in various ways. And the world classifies love by being feeling good and having good emotion, but a biblical love goes a whole lot deeper. And as true followers of Christ, we must learn to love one another. And the kind of love that the Bible speaks about is a commitment. It is a decision. It is something that you make yourself do or you focus on the fact that I'm in control with the Holy Spirit because he's given me love, now I love you. And as somebody say, there's nothing you can do about it. Now, the greatest person in any church is the one that are doing his or her best to live out these qualities that we have been dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. For Paul tells us here, the spiritual gifts, yes, you have all of them manifesting in the church, but the greatness of an individual is not by your gift, it's by your fruit. He says, yes, we want the gifts and the gifts ought to be operating and the gifts ought to be manifesting. But he says, without love, all of your giftedness is useless. Now, we as God's people and hopefully with Bethlehem, we ought to be known for our love. Can I get an amen right there? Now this is where it's going to get tricky, so hang on with me because I don't even know where I'm going myself. Oh, come on, sometimes you just don't know. That's why I say pray for me. Now, biblical love is an unconditional love. Say unconditional. unconditional. It's a love that loves in spite of. Say in spite of. But now, what I wrestle with and what some people wrestle with and if I was going to use a subtopic, it would be the answer to Brother Phil, not Dr. Phil, Brother Phil up there, his question about how far does love go? That's what I'm going to try to deal with today. Does biblical love embolden someone to continue in sin? Does that unconditional love that we are to share to people, do we sweep it underneath the banners of God's grace? Does biblical love or this unconditional love require us to follow behind people and clean up after them? 
Does it require us to shield them from their responsibilities? Does it require us to cushion their blow when they might be in God's hands? Does it cause us to always interject ourselves as like the Messiah? When somebody's in trouble, we got to jump in to try to save them. Is that the love that he's speaking about here? Because there's a difference between unconditional love and enabling somebody to continue in their bad habits. That's why I said this was coming. Because when we talk about enabling, it deals with the fact that oftentimes in families, oftentimes in churches, oftentimes we will excuse, we will justify, we will ignore, we will deny, we will smooth over bad habits. We will put under conditions that we know is obvious. But under the banner of love, some of us feel like we always got to jump in to help. See, enabling is releasing that individual of the effects of their own decisions. Enabling is giving somebody has the choice. And with that choice, they made the bad decision. They made the wrong decision. But because we don't want them to uh, incur the consequences, we always jump in to help. But oftentimes, that is counterproductive. I said sometimes that's counterproductive. We're praying, Lord, save them. But every time they get in a situation, we interject ourselves in it. We say, do it how you need to do it, Lord. We're in the last day. Save my children. Save my family. And there's no situation they can't run from to us, and we bail them out. I didn't want to preach this one today. I said, go focus on meddling. That's not mine to do what you want to do. But we cannot enable sin to continue. Does enabling a person under this banner of unconditional love, does it enable them to continue and all of a sudden they know that we're always going to be their cushion, we're always going to be their, their soft pad to land on? One thing all enablers have in common, they love someone who's out of control, that's all right, but they find themselves taking more responsibility for the action of that person than the person does himself. See, anytime you see behaviors, anytime you see your child, anytime you see your spouse doing things that are outside of God's word and, 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 and you, you've dealt with them and you try to work with them, you went through the biblical principles, but still they do not want to conform to God's plan, you've got a decision to make. Under the banners of love. Because, as you know, it's heartbreaking seeing a loved one go through drug addictions. It's hard to see loved ones go through and battling things that they're uh, out of control, debt, and every time they get in debt, they come to you. Every time they need money, they run to you. And when we continue to bail them out, the boundaries that we set 
When we say now, don't come back. Anybody ever tell the kid, don't come back? But anytime we lessen or move the boundaries, it's almost like telling them, just keep on doing it because they're going to enable me to continue to do what I'm doing. There's a big difference between helping and loving than enabling somebody else. And this is where I'm going today. First of all, in our text, we see biblical looks, what biblical love looks like. Love seeks the other person's highest good. Now, what I mean by that is oftentimes we look for the person's comfort. We look at the, the, the convenience of that person. But see, God looks at, and God wants us to look at that person's ultimate or the highest good. Notice when he says, charity suffers long, it's kind, charity and envy is not, charity's uh, thought is not, or doesn't parade itself around. But then it says, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. In other words, when we talk about love seeks the, the highest good of the others, the highest good at times might be telling somebody no. Oh, y'all don't hear me. I'm in the wrong church today. <laughs> Telling somebody that the highest good might be saying, you made your bed. With old folks saying, now go alive. The highest good might be, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, that will you reap. It's not my job to bail you out of all the bad choices you have made. You have to come back if you want me to preach one of those uplifting messages. I know I'm meddling today. And one of the best examples of this in scripture happened, or we talked about it in the last quarter in our Sunday school lesson, about the prodigal son. You remember that story? The son demanded that he wanted his proportion or his portion of goods that belongs to him before it was actually tied. And the Bible says, and his father gave it to him. Could you imagine what the father thought that he was giving his son his inheritance before he was ready? Could you imagine how painstaking it was to know that my son, my loved one, my husband, my spouse, my friend, I'm giving them something they're not prepared for, but he gave it to them anyway. See, we have to understand that the father was willing to fight through the pain. He was willing to fight through what people might think. Well, his son doesn't like sleep. He was willing to fight through the agony uh, and the pain of staying up at night saying, my child might be out there in trouble and, and, and I gave him the money and, I, and he's doing all these type things. But one thing I love about the father is that he gave him the money or his inheritance. But if you notice one thing, he did not chase after him. I said he did not chase after him. Some of y'all say, I'm going to let him go, but you chase after him. You, you say, I'm going to put it in God's hand, but you, you got to uh, put the little counter on their cars, and you got to check the cell phones, and you got to make sure you got... Things under control. The father gave the inheritance, but he did not chase after the son. See, when the father set up boundaries, 
have faith in God to release them. To release them in God's hands. To release them under God's providential care. And even though the father, as painstaking as it was, he says, I'm going to let you go, but I ain't going to chase after you. Some people in our lives continue to make the same mistake because they know we'll chase after them. They know that we are their piggyback. They know that they always can come to us because we Christians and we got to love unconditionally. But love has boundaries. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, yes, you say you love me, but that love don't come free and it don't come cheap. I'm trying to help some of the young families. Most of, most of us old enough, we know, we know the story. We done been through it. We, we done lost money and gave it to folk. And they went out and blew it. And you see them next day with nails and see their hair done and you done, that you done sacrificed. Y'all know I'm right. You sitting up here feeling sorry for them. I better leave that alone. Even when it comes to our own church and how we set up our benevolence, we are there to help people. But when somebody comes time and time again, we say, you need some credit counseling. No, you need some help. Oh, come on here. We ain't the BT First Bank that every time you got a problem, you come you got to be responsible for what God has given you. And then if there is a gap, if there's a shortcoming, we will help you where we can. But don't look to us to be your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. We didn't pay it all. Jesus paid it all. I thought I was going to flip that one in. we got to release the boundary. See, oftentimes, whether we want to not, a lot of times we want to give them the money because it means we're in control. Can I get an amen? They're going to keep coming back to me. They're going to need me. They're gonna, I'm somebody that they want to refer to. But you got to release them into God's hand. Now notice the Bible says about this boy, he went out and he spent what he had. His money ran out. There was a mighty famine in the land. The Bible said he was hungry. The Bible says now he found himself in a foreign and a strange land. Have you ever found yourself in a strange land? And usually it could tie back to a decision we made. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Whether you accept it or not, we are where we are by the choices we have made. If you're in a bad situation, go back and look at your choices. If you're in a bad situation, go back and look at the choices you have made. This boy, he's in a foreign land, in a strange land. Now he's bankrupt. The Bible said he has no friends or relatives as long as he had the money. Folk was running to him as long as he was supplying the stash. That nobody had a problem with him. But all of a sudden his money and all that ran out. You've got to understand there was no food stamp. There was no governmental program to help him. And the Bible said he became hungry. 
And he got to a place where he was desperate. That he was willing, if he had to, he saw the pigs. And he saw if the pigs were eating the pig up. And, and, and the Bible said, even though this was a Jewish boy, he was hungry enough. He didn't do it, but he was hungry enough. That he said, if the pigs can eat the husk, and I'm here with the pig pit, what am I doing here? Now, this wasn't Jesus. This was Montel Williams years ago. He said, people won't change until it's too painful to remain the same. I said, people will not change. You can pray for them. You can fast with them. You can take them down to the bank. You can take out loans and all that kind of stuff. But until they hit rock bottom, until they get tired of being tired and tired of being broke and tired of paying their bills and, and living from paycheck to paycheck and, and not having enough fee, until they hit the bottom, oftentimes they will not change. The Bible lets us know in this story, this boy eventually hit rock bottom. And the Bible says, using a euphemism, he said, and he came to himself. Said the boy came to himself. Which speaks about he came to repentance. He says, I don't have to live like this. There might be somebody here today, didn't come to hear this, but you know that what you're going through, you're saying, I don't have to live like this. Life don't have to keep on kicking me on my backside. I, I, I shouldn't have to live like this from one drug deal to another. I shouldn't have to live like this from one relationship to another. But until you get desperate enough to say, I can go back to my father, you will stay in that situation. <laughs> he hit father. But notice, loving someone the father, watch it. The father loved him even when he was a father. It's not that you stop loving him, so you still got unconditional love. But you allow that love to have the consequences of their bad behavior. In other words, if you say you love me, and all of a sudden we go into West Middletown, and all of a sudden the, the, the bridge is out, love me enough to tell me the truth. Hurt my feelings and say the bridge is out. Tell me holiness is still right, even though I might not accept it. Tell me that Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life, even though I, I've heard it a hundred times. Still tell me the truth. We got to stop allowing our friendships to murky the fact that Jesus says, I'm still the way. And stop us from being afraid to tell people the truth. Because they won't like me anymore. Again, if the bridge is out, tell me. Let me say that. Hurt my feelings. <laughs> Hurt my feelings. Because, if you notice, God is more concerned about the soul than your feelings. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? 
and lose his soul. So if it's going to save my soul, tell me where I'm wrong. If it's going to save my soul, tell me where you can help me. If it's going to save my soul, point, me, point it out in the scripture and let's reason together. Don't smooth it over. It, it seeks the highest good of the person. Now notice the father's response. First of all, we see the father's reception. We see the father was looking for him. In other words, the father didn't cut him off. That was still love. The father saw him coming. In other words, the father saw his son. In other words, he was expecting his son, hoping his son, praying for his son to come back. This is a picture of God that's anybody that's outside of the ark of safety. God is not waiting for you to come back so he can thump you across your head. He's not waiting for you to come to him so he can put it in your face. People do that. He's not waiting for you to come. He was looking for his son. And the Bible said he had compassion on him. He took the initiative. He pulled up his robe, started running towards his son. That was against principle in their time that a person of royalty will pull up their robe and show their leg. It was uncommon for a man to be running in public. But he said, that's my son. I don't care what y'all think. I don't care what the cultural norms are. Because my son is coming home. He was lost. He's now found. It's time to celebrate. You can hate if you want to, but my son is back home in my arms. He ran to him. He restored him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him, which is a sign of restoration. So therefore, we, we see in the story that it let, he let him go. He let him go. He let him go. But he was coming back. And we have to allow people to live with the decisions they make. I'm not done, but I think this is a good place to start to land this plane. There's somebody here today, other than those who are candidates for baptism. God has called you for a purpose. And even before I was saved, hear me. I knew God had his hand on my life. Stuff other folk got into, he spared me. And the stuff I did get into, he softened the blow. But he allowed me to make the choices. He allowed me to go my way. I grew up in the church, grew up, father was thinking, mother was just about everything in the church but a preacher. And, and, but I grew up in that environment. But God loves you enough to say, go ahead with your bad self. You think you can run it better than I can? Go ahead. I remember, especially teenage kids, they get to the age where they think they know more than you. You tell them, go ahead, but you'll be back. I told my son, the older you get, the smarter I get. In other words, I'm not telling you this just to stop you from having fun. But because we've been through some stuff, we can help you along the way. 
There might be somebody, and, and again, I was going to deal with another story, but I'm not. There might be somebody under the sound of my voice who's in the position of this prodigal son. You have strayed, you need to be saved, and you realize God is waiting. He, he, he's looking for you. He's saying, this is your day. This is your moment. This is your time to be born again. Don't worry about the crowd because the people who are telling you, you don't need that old stuff. You don't need that holiness. It's going to kill your fun. I'll be the same ones and look over your grave and say, they should have took Christ. This is your opportunity to come. Altar workers, please come. Any of our altar workers that can minister, please come. Minister Hunter, if you would come. Minister Perry, if you would come. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.